We're on Hollywood Boulevard. Welcome back. So, guys, we did take a pause last week. Um, thank you for bearing with us. Uh, we also talked about this on our sibling podcast on the block. Um, Karen had a COVID scare, and the good news is she doesn't need to be scared. She doesn't have COVID. Just everyone in the world sucks. That's all. But we're glad yeah. that Karen is feeling better this week, and life can go on. Yay! So, hey, we've got stuff to talk about. Where should we begin? Should we do TV stuff first and then get a little ranty? Oh, yeah. Let's save the ranting for the end. Yeah, okay, let's, talk about, let's talk about some streaming stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're back to Netflix again. I wanted to talk about a show called Bonding. Uh, two seasons of which have now aired on Netflix. Um and I found it to be a really intriguing show that did almost everything right. Um, but here's the setup. It's two best friends in New York City in their 20s. Um, uh, a woman who is a grad student and moonlights as a dominatrix. Um, and her best friend who is uh, gay and they've known each other since high school in Georgia. Um, who she basically in, um, takes on to be her quote-unquote assistant, but which also exposes him more to the world of bondage and you know and BDSM in general. So that is the the duality of the show's title: bonding, testing, you know their their friendship as well as the the bondage element of the show, um, and. He, uh, um, Zoe Levin plays the woman. Her name is Tiff, Tiffany, uh, and Brendan Scannell is the other character, Pete, who is actually uh, an aspiring stand-up comic. Um, and what we see is sort of like a tipping of the scales. The the more um, the Tiff character continues her life, um, the more she sort of finds it to um, kind of hinder her personal relationships. And uh, the Pete character um, finds the flip side, that that the more he's exposed to the world of, like, BDSM, it, like, liberates him, and he actually becomes, like, a better stand-up comic and uh, el el eliminates his stage fright. Um, and by the second season, it the show pushes a little bit deeper. Um, it, it talks about like the actual structural and business world of a sex club, and it also mm -hmm. further explores um, the relationships that both the Tiff character and the Pete character have with their respective boyfriends. And I actually think it's those relationships that are the true highlight of the series. Um, both of those actors. Micah Stock and Theo Stockman, uh, who I know from having seen a lot of New York theater with them in it, uh, I think are doing like the heaviest lifting with the show and are really, really good um, and offer quite credible performances. Um, and I'm really glad I saw it. And the other thing about it is that the seasons are short. The episodes are short. Each season is seven or eight episodes. Each episode is 15 to 20 minutes. Um, oh, and there are episodes that, that don't really have any any fat. Uh, Alex Hurt is another New York theater actor. He's also the son of William Hurt, um, and he has a recurring role as as Pete's 
roommate who is sort of a bro, but also sort of non-judgmental, um, which is refreshing. One of the best things about the show too is is just how refreshing it, it this show is. Like there, it's very sex positive. It, there's no there's no real shaming, um, and that's a sort of unique stance for a show to take. Uh, I guess in a sense, it's a non-stance. Um, even for 2021, I find that rare. And all the things that I see. Um, I really liked it. I hope that it gets a third season. Uh, another New York musical actress that I love, Alicia Umphress, has a small role um, in, in the comedy club world as well. So it's actually a very good cast with a lot of chops. Uh, I hope all of them stay with the show because I really liked it. I found it really rewarding. Uh, and that's a solid recommend from me. Oh, I'm going to have to catch this. It's been, um, I've, I've actually been talking a lot about BDSM lately in my other life. Um, so, so this is kind of you, like, super you interesting. really should. Yeah. 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 Like this is like super interesting. You know, I did my, um, we did that clubhouse. I did that clubhouse a couple of weeks ago with that yeah. friend of mine. Um, and actually, um, the person that she learned a lot from, uh, to write her book because she wrote a BDSM romance um came and joined us in the in the room and was really fascinating so we had like a lot of like this whole conversation um about uh you know about about bdsm and you know working as a dom and you know and and, and all of that and then i just wrapped my class this weekend and there was some conversations about you know there's all sorts of different types of BDSM in yes. terms of like doms and submissives and sort of like what type of dom are you and you know fascinating fascinating stuff it really like it's really a lot deeper um than I think the lay person like understands oh for sure yeah. you know um it's it's very it's actually very very fascinating yeah I then I recommend this even more highly to you I think yeah it really does look at the subculture and uh, the show's creator writer Doyle uh, I imagine has experience in that world and, and that influenced the the story in the first place so yeah I definitely think you would get a lot out of the show cool so that's bonding on Netflix and then speaking of Netflix I have finally we I should say have finally seen we've caught up completely on Cobra Kai and I mean, we love it. It's it's fantastic. Isn't it just so, awesome? It yes. really is. So, okay, there's like four things I want to say before I forget, just off the top. I think it is, as reboots go, one of the very best, um, even though I know it's film to TV and not just like TV to TV or film to film, I think it does a great job of continuing to expand the world yes. while still respecting the original world. Obviously, yes, there is a lot of clear fan service. I think it's great that pretty much every cast member that is still alive has been able to somehow come back in ways that feel more or less organic. Um, and I love that that includes people like Elizabeth Shue. Um, I think the music is great. Um, I had another point. One of the reasons I wanted to get it all out was so I wouldn't forget, and I've already forgotten one of the things. But here is the biggest thing. The fight choreography on that show is bar none. It is incredible. And sadly, lost a SAG award for stunt ensemble, which I think is BS, but whatever. Um, There is, I don't need to tell you, but I'll be like mildly vague. There is a very elaborate 
group fight scene towards the end of the second season that may just be the best fight scene I have ever seen in the history of ever. Wait, which one is the, the not the one at the school, right? The that was season school. one. Season that two. Was season the one, two? No, yeah, that's it. Yeah. The one at the school was season two? Yeah. So we've already had three seasons then. Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't that wild? I mean, I thought there was going to be like another scene of like some of the kids fighting and it would last a minute and then teachers would come out and stop it and whatever. It lasts like 15 to 20 minutes. It is epic. It was mind-bogglingly amazing. I couldn't believe it. It was great. Yeah, it was it was actually and it and it also did some call it did a couple like it did a callback to um an earlier yes. episode. Yes. Like it just there that that scene was phenomenal. Like not only with the fights, but also the way and the choreography, but also the way it was written and that callback was tr- like it was it was actually probably a perfect scene. Yeah, it yeah, it was tremendous. Oh, and by the way, the actress who plays the mother of Miguel, the mm-hmm. young student who is this kind of like our, our main guy now, she is also in bonding in a oh, recurring really? role. So oh. those tie right together. Oh, look at that. Look at us tying shit together. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed Cobra Kai as much oh my as God. I did. And I knew I would. I wanted to see it and I like didn't want to be done with it. But I'm like mm. so satisfied with what I saw um, that that it was worth it. I mean, we both we both really loved it. In fact, I noticed that um, they're rerunning all the Karate Kid movies on TV, so we're actually going to watch them all together again now. Because I don't think Alyssa has seen all of them, um, and if she has, it's been years. Yeah. Um, but that the other other thing that I wanted to point out, and I have tweeted about this. William Zabka as grown-up Johnny Lawrence is, I think, giving hands down the best performance I've seen all year. Yep. Yep. I completely agree with that. I mean, who knew? Like, I d- would have never known that the the kid that was in that Karate Kid movie would grow up to be this actually wonderful, wonderful actor who yeah, is just an absolute a, delight to watch. Yeah, he really... And he, and he is. Yeah, it's such a nuanced, yep. honest kind of portrayal. And... Yep. And it shows that, like, you can take any character, you can take any setting, you can take any genre, and if you just work it right, you can actually do fantastic work. You can actually make it really meaty and really matter. And it's so funny because he can go, he turns it on a dime, too, which is, I think, is that, like, he can be having... Like real people do. He can be having this sort of, like, real touching moment, and for a minute you think, like, the character is going to burst into tears or whatever, and then on a dime he does something that's absolutely hilarious, and it's perfect. The yeah. timing is perfect. Like, everything about it is perfect. And it's it, he, his performance really is spectacular, um, and I wish that he was getting more recognition for that. Yeah, I was just going to say, it is exactly the kind of performance that people like critics like me, um, should be out there to salute. And it is exactly the performance that will get no notoriety because it doesn't fit the right mold and it doesn't uh, have enough people pushing it. Um, but, but do not sleep on Cobra Kai, guys and girls, because uh, it is the most fun and one of the most 
smartly detailed written shows, I mm-hmm. think that's around. You know, it's funny. I avoided it for so long because I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those nostalgia things. You know, it's going to be, you know, and and it is. But I think that they've done they've done the nostalgia thing so well. And like you said, there are bits in it that are total fan service, but it doesn't detract from what the show is doing. They've really put thought into how they want to entwine it all. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do fan service and be lazy. Or you can do fan service and be creative about it, and that's what they're doing. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's really good. It's really just so good. I, I mean, I'm aware I haven't even once mentioned Ralph Macchio's name. I mean, like he's fine. Yeah, he's he so the cares. show yeah. for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because so much of this is actually, it's actually about Johnny Lawrence. Yeah, he is the true focal point of the show. Yeah, he's sort of like the anti-hero and they've really made it where where the Karate Kid movies were all about Danny LaRusso. Like, it really is Johnny's time to shine here. Like, this really is, I feel like, his story. I mean, even if it's about the, you know, yeah, it's about the kids and all of that, but I think ultimately this is Johnny's story. Yeah, yeah, he is definitely our, our hero. Yeah. It's primarily his journey. Um, but they are they do a very good job of of balancing the older and the younger generation throughout. Uh, we also do laugh at some of the concessions. Like they make Johnny so dumb sometimes. Like he doesn't know anything about the internet or smartphones or texting or Facebook. And it's like, are you Rip Van Winkle? Did you sleep for thirty five years? But I don't care because a it's funny and b. He plays every note so well. Honestly, it works with the character. What does he need the internet for? Well, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, living very low. So. Yeah, yeah. So it, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny, but it's also honestly, it's not surprising because he's like my, like I guess the character is probably a little bit older than me, and honestly, there are some people my age who are just like, I mean, I have a friend that like won't won't text won't respond to text isn't on social media like he has a fax machine <laughs> like he literally he legit has a, yeah like he legit has a fax machine like he just like if i like he like if i text him he'll be like don't text me <laughs> like he just like that's just not no like that doesn't how that's not that's not where he lives that's not the world he lives in like he just doesn't do it like you know if you want to talk to him you gotta call him if you got to send him sides, you got to fax him, I guess. I yeah, know. I guess so. <laughs> but, I mean, but, you know, so so honestly, it's not that out of the realm of possibilities, especially since, like, you know, what has he been doing for a living all these years? He's been, like, working odd jobs as, like, sort of like a fix-it guy, right? Like, that sort of... yeah. You know, so so he's not he's not necessarily internet savvy. He's not on the internet. He doesn't need no, it. Savvy know? is not a word I would I would use for Johnny Lawrence. Yeah. So it's great, and he's kind of like he's stuck in like the eighties muscle. You know, muscle. Totally. Yeah, it's, yeah. Which is great. Which is so fun. That, with, that even like with the jugs and magazines and, and yeah. stuff to boot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just and it's so funny and it's fun and his muscle cars and his hair bands and it's oh it's so fantastic. It's so much so good. Um. So yeah, that's a big uh, love from the two of us. And the best part about all of it is as inspired Alyssa to every now and then play Peter Cetera's Glory of Love on her phone <laughs> in the apartment. So just a complete win in my book. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yay. It is. That is, yeah, that is definitely a happy place for us. So I hope that other people can find it there as well. Should we get ranty now? Let's get ranty, babe. All right. Who's ranting first? Well, okay. okay. <laughs> you, I, I give you the floor. Seven days ago, about the time that I was getting a COVID test, um, the Hollywood Reporter, I'm using this word loosely, broke, <laughs> broke the story about Scott Rudin, heavy, heavyweight, literally and figuratively, heavyweight producer Scott Rudin, um, who has... Tony's and Oscars and does he have yeah he's an EGOT right he's he is an EGOT he's he's like he's he's an EGOT um that he's Grammys Oscars Tony's yeah that he is an absolute monster to work for y'all we all knew this yeah this is not news this is not news this is no surprise you know this from was it I mean we were making fun of his want ads on this on this show like six months ago or whatever. Like he was running those um those crazy uh like help wanted ads for a, an assistant where it was like you have to work you know fifty million hours a day and be well, at, at yeah. This and call. we have a little bit of inside knowledge because when we were unemployed during the pandemic. Uh, my fiance interviewed for one of those positions and they were, I mean, HR was basically like, we'll tell you the good, the bad and the ugly. And yes, he has a temper, uh, but I won't say anything more. And the hours were like 6am to 8pm and like for not a lot of money and with not a lot of benefits or I think, or I think days off, like you could take them unpaid. Yeah. Yeah, like it was like it was like it was like almost like indentured servitude to work yeah. for, you know, like it was the hours were crazy. Like I couldn't believe those hours, the 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's 12 hour days like for no compensation. And yeah, you had no days off. And I think you were expected to work like seven day weeks. Yeah, I don't know if that was the case, but either way, it was inhumane. And that's before like we even get to all the stories that that are known about his violent temper, his verbal abuse, turned out physical uh, uh, abuse or threats as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so The Hollywood Reporter, and you know, every few years a story says exactly this resurfaces and it's like, yes and. Yeah. Because what is the call to action here? Yeah, because there were a lot of stories here uh, I, that I had. I mean, there were a few that I was like, oh, I didn't hear about that one. Um, particularly, I think about the oh, computer that's... Oh. <laughs> the com- oh, the potato, yeah. But the computer that smashed the um, the assistant, he smashed that computer on the assistant's hand, and the assistant had to go to, like, <laughs> they had to call 911. So, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever here's that the, was. But like, yeah, but, but yeah, so here's the deal. They are hiring people that are very young, that actually don't know what their rights are as employees and as people in the world um, and really want to try and get a foothold in the industry. And they think, well, I don't want to make an enemy of anyone, especially someone who is powerful. So I really won't complain too much, even if I quit, because I have to tell you, if that ever happened to me at the workplace, like, I don't care if, if it meant I wasn't able to meet Steven Spielberg the next hour, I would immediately go to the cops and call a lawyer. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think that this is, you know, these are very young people. Um, I think that they do know that what's happening is, uh, you know, completely abusive and should not be happening. But I think they are so you know, you, when you, you want to work in the industry and he is a powerful yeah. man and it's a foothold, yeah. and it's a fo- and he is going to say, if you, you know, if you leave this job, you will be ruined. And he yeah. was saying that you'll never yeah, work in this that. town again. Yes. Now, did you see a, you, I know you did because it, this is why we're friends. It's probably <laughs> one of your favorite movies. Like it is mine swimming with sharks with Frank. Oh, Lewis. I knew you were going to ask. Yes. Yes. <laughs> of course. yes. Which is a 25, 26 year old movie by yes. now. Which was based on Ruth. <laughs> Which Kevin Spacey played a character based on Scott Rudin. Yes. <laughs> and apparently kicking the assistant out on the on the highway or whatever was a thing yeah. that actually yeah. happened, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so I, you know, it's like this sort of like, oh, it's a big, look at, that's why I say like broke, like we're using that very loosely. Everybody knew this. And I know that the Hollywood Reporter, I think, referenced like a New York Times article or something like that, where Rudin himself was saying, yes, I am very difficult. I am very yeah. difficult. I am I am not easy to work for. And, you know, it's so funny because I'm like, yes, he is a tyrant. Um, but, you know, so are a lot of them. And, you know, and... and so this, are almost all of them. So are almost all of them. And it's so funny because they're... What is actually very interesting, I think, is the fallout from this. There hasn't been any. No. I mean, so first of all, very few actual trade publications specific to the theater industry where Root and Loom's largest have run anything. Um, have done follow-ups on it. The the biggest response I've seen has been for like fans on Twitter to tell every member of the industry to never work with Scott Rudin, and well, that, that was that's the way to shut him down, which automatically puts the onus on you know the the, the David, the, not the Goliath. The, yeah, exactly. And, well, now all of a sudden, seven days. Now remember, seven days ago this story broke. Now seven days later. Um, Because I Googled the story, so I would have it up. um, And that Google brings up um, a day ago, uh, performers unions demand action on workplace harassment. Theater unions denounce workplace abuse. It took them seven days to come out and denounce Just to come up with with a statement that will actually bear no fruit. I suppose now is a good time to mention that one of those three prominent unions is one that I worked for and had a very extreme... Uh, experience of harassment and abuse uh, on my own. And I don't feel like um, I shouldn't say anything about it. They, they never, you know, offered me anything or settled or anything. I eventually left on my own uh, and feel free to tell my story. But um, uh, the, to me, it's, it's all just words. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's sort of like the call is coming from inside the house at that point, right? You know, I mean, you can condemn a producer's uh, workplace behavior, but what's going on in the workplace that is also condemning that behavior? You know, do you you know what I mean? So it's kind of no surprise that they're coming out with this kind of tepid, you know, what feels like a tepid response. And that's all it will, will be and all it can be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the only one who's really come out and said, the, he, yes, he is a terrible person, is uh, Megan Ellison, the true yes. threat. Yes, yeah, she's the only one that I saw. Yeah. yeah, like, she's really the only one that's sort of, like, been like, yes, yeah, no, this needed to be said, and she's put her name on her, you know, on, on yeah. her, 
you know, she's like really backed it, but there's been no, I mean, you know, no actor that's, you know, big name actor that's come out and said, this is, um, you know, maybe it wasn't their experience, but this is unacceptable. You know, I know that he got some heat for those leaked emails, the Sony email leaks where he like, nothing. but then nothing, yeah, nothing. I don't understand how he's so Teflon. No, I mean, Harvey I mean, Weinstein got brought down. Like, is it just there are enough people left that still like him? Well, I think the difference is Harvey Weinstein's run by then had already come to its... It hadn't come to its end, but it significantly slowed down. Um, he didn't have nearly the same pull as he did, and part of that was Miramax was already done, and the Weinstein company didn't have exactly the same... Uh, successes that that Miramax did from the late 80s through uh, like 2010. Whereas Scott Rudin is in that sweet spot of power where everything he touches still turns kind of to gold, still makes careers, still wins its performers the awards that they want, Um, still makes rich people richer, that sort of thing. Well, I think it also has to do with like, I guess, Weinstein abused the talent. He wasn't only abusing the assistants. Right. No, I mean, the way uh, the way Scott Rudin treats his underlings is not at all, I'm sure, the way he treats Laurie Metcalf and Hugh Jackman and Glenda Jackson and, you know, Sir Sharon and Timothy Chalamet, I'm sure. Right. Well, one assumes. Well, I can um, assume, I'm not positive. I believe that. Yeah. Right. Whereas Harvey was sort of like, you know harassing Gwyneth Paltrow. I'll, yeah, know? I'll ruin you too, Ashley Judd. I'll ruin you, Mira yeah. Yeah, yeah, he he seemed a little bit more bombastic about it, I guess, with you know, particularly with with the talent that you know he was going after talent, yeah. um, you know, and even then they were these are big name actors and they were afraid to come forward. Now you've got these underlings, you know, assistants, people who don't have that kind of public. Um, you know, cachet, like they, so they don't necessarily have, like, let's say, the press on their side, right? Like, they, no, they don't have any real they stability. Don't have they, they, and some already have said that they did have to completely give up on that career path, give up on a career in the industry. Because so, they've got so, nobody yeah. to turn to. They've got no, they've got no way. No one to can boost them. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it's sort of like this dirty little secret of the industry that, you know, or dirty little non-secret, um, yeah, that, a dirty open secret, I guess is I the guess, word. Yeah. I guess, but I don't, you know, it's okay. It's out there. Now what? I don't think, I don't think anything's going to happen. Yeah. I don't see anything changing. I don't see anything happening. Cause I, I, cause I, I guarantee you, you know, all the people that, you know, say that they call for change and things that are acceptable and aren't acceptable, you know, when push comes to shove and Broadway returns and he has his next slate of shows, they're going to want to be covering all of them. They're going to be at all the opening nights. They're going to want to do all the interviews. So, so the press is staying mom and, you know, all the actors who could still benefit from a show will still take those parts. I don't mean I don't mean the famous people. I mean like the other people in the industry who desperately need work, and that could be a real boon to them. Now I had heard um, that the New York Times was privy to all of this information. I had heard that too. Um, that uh, and and they buried it. Yeah, I I'd heard that about him. 
And I don't know how far back that goes. And I also heard about three to six months into the beginning of the Me Too movement um, that there was a very similar article about uh, Bernie Telsey, the most prominent casting director in theater and some film, that the Times also killed. Yeah, and and that I think is very problematic. You know, and considering why they fired Charles Isherwood. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, because, and I think it was actually Scott Rudin was involved with that too, right? Like he was too chummy with Scott Rudin. Wasn't it that Isherwood was eventually seen as being in Scott Rudin's pocket? And yes. doing some sort of like quid pro quo, like I'm going to write, really write up all your shit. Yeah, and you'll keep treating me well. Something like yeah, that. But I don't yeah. even think, I, I almost feel like it wasn't even that bad it was sort of like I think that he had he had you know they had a very it it just seemed like they had a very friendly relationship that was a little like like a little like "Mm, well raised eyebrows but I don't remember him ever saying it could have been I mean I don't think anyone got an official explanation but it did seem like there was some lack of objectivity because of an actual kinship between Rudin and Isherwood so I don't I right. don't. I don't know more of the details. How I would love to. How we all kind of assume, but I don't know beyond. But that. you know, I will say, and I think I said this at the time too, when Charles got fired, was that Charles was for a very long time the theater editor slash chief theater critic at Variety. That is a chummy with producers' job, yeah. even if you are a critic. Yeah. So, you know, and the Times knew that and they had to know that he had these relationships. And that was probably part of the reason why they brought him on board, you know, is that he had these existing relationships. So, I mean, you know, so it was kind of it just seemed. And then so anyway, at the time, it just seemed a little like, oh, really, you're firing for that? Well, all right. But, you know, now, you know, on top of this now and you look at it and you say, well, you know, why did The New York Times bury this story why are they burying the story you, you know why are they burying these stories why are they or or yeah you know, i think it's an them? excellent question you know I, and what is that you know what i mean they're supporting the theater industry and then there's just not really i mean did were i mean did they question the news value of this i i don't know because I, I mean, really I guess one could because it is such an open secret. Like, well, if everybody in the in the industry knows, what's the point of reporting it? No, because uh, I think they have written and rewritten and recovered lesser, more known things. I don't think it was a. There's no story here. I think it was this can blow back kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is just weird. It's so funny. It's so funny. There are some journalists who. Um, Joyce Wadler was one who was at the New York Times mm. um, forever ago. I don't know if you remember her. By I do. Yeah. And she was doing for a long time. She did that that gossip, the non gossip gossip column that they had. Now I can't remember what it was called. Um, where they would go to parties, and then they always had like. So it was like I, I remember exactly what the layout looked like in the paper. It was like this sort of like box in a box. And so it, the inset box was all like like a profile of some sort of prominent New Yorker, almost like Corey Kilgannon's character study is now, but hell of a lot shorter. And then it would have like around that the tech, the, the it would be like a like the gossip column. 
and they'd have the gospel mm. go to parties or openings or, or whatever and come back and report on that. It was actually a very fun column. Um, and so I pitched Joyce um, eons ago uh, a story about this guy who was doing something fairly interesting that was tied to a project that I was working on. I wasn't working directly with him. Um, and, but I, but I thought it was really fascinating. Um, and I don't want to necessarily say who it is or what it was. Cause I don't want to give it, it's just not comfortable sort of like talking about that too clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, uh, unbeknownst to me and he was a, a way older man. Um, apparently this man had, uh, so I pitched it to Joyce. Let me let me start this. I pitched it to Joyce, and Joyce actually thought this is a really interesting story. Yes, I I, I think I am interested. And then she went away, and she actually did her own research. And I don't know what database she was in and what deep dive she was going in, but she actually called me back, and she was like, I can't do this. And I was like, and she was like, why don't we do this instead? And I was like, okay, but what's going on? And she was like, he beats his wife. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? And apparently, like, he, I, I don't know. I, God bless. She must have gone through like she must go through like criminal records before she was doing like features on people. And she like is she found like criminal records about this guy being abusive towards his wife and she would not move forward with the story. And I was like, thank you. God bless. I wish more people were like you, because I will say there are fawning articles in major publications, not just the Times, but all sorts of major publications on people who are just really terrible people. Yeah. Like just truly, truly terrible people. And so, you know, I will say, even though obviously the Times and other publications, it's an open secret about Scott Rudin's behavior towards his assistants. And yet everybody keeps covering him and covering his projects and, you know, delighting in him. Um, And it just it just is like, ew, you know. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you know, after 20 odd years doing this and sort of like only having one instance of a reporter pushing back and saying, I will not do that story because that is a terrible person and I don't want to give him any press. And I was yeah. like, I had no idea and I agree with you. Um, yeah, so, rare yeah. for sure. It's so rare, so rare. And I wish more people would do that. I agree. Yeah, the best way to really uh, cover someone icky is to not cover not them. Cover them. <laughs> Put the spotlight somewhere else. Don't give life to it. Don't be a negative drag piece. Just shine a light somewhere else. That's how you can actually really be responsible about using the power of the pen, regardless of what the actual platform is. That's what I think. Yes, that's exactly it. Because there are so many other projects out there that are so worthy of attention that don't get it because you know the light is drawn by people like scott rudin you know who have this the money and the power and whatever you know and the access to celebrities or you know whatever sparkly shiny thing and and there goes all that attention even though we know we should not be giving it to him because he is an asshole. Yeah. You know? Mm-mm. Like if Scott Rudin called us up tomorrow and said, hey, I want to be on your podcast, I'd be like, no, you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Or I would be like, I'm going to ask you the hard questions. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
sure, come on, I'm gonna ask you the hard questions. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a soapboxin. No, but it's a, I, I, I liked the, the soapboxin. Oh, Alyssa yesterday found someone who, instead of writing soap opera on social media, it, or I don't know if it was autocorrected to soap opera, and I think that's <laughs> something we should put out there. I feel like that's what we should call her interviews from now on. Speaking of, we never talked about this. Did you see the Meghan Markle, Harry, what the hell? Did, Windsor, is that his last name? Prince Harry? I, get, I don't know what we call him now. No, F no. I know I didn't watch it. No, I, I, won't give that, I won't give those idiots the light of day. I didn't. And it's not like it's not like I love the monarchy. It's not like I hate what they have done to the family or anything. I just I think they're pretentious fucks, and I think that anyone who falls for their song and dance, which is so thirsty, is a fool. Wow, I didn't watch it either, but I have to say I'm fascinated by the coverage. The media coverage has been relentless. I don't know, I don't know why I was, but I initially was a little surprised at like how much everyone was galvanized by that interview and what they had to say. I should have seen that coming, but I didn't. Probably just because I wasn't paying attention to it. Okay, here's the thing. And I really feel like when I have some spare time, I, well, it'll be out of the news cycle by then. So I, it'll probably never happen. So I'm just going to ask it here. Okay, here's the thing. We have... I don't deny... I, like, I believe... Megan's experience like I believe what what she was saying was her experience and you know it just I believe I believe that I 100 I 110% believe that and it was not you know it was not for her to sit behind those sort of palace walls right that wasn't her thing my question is while she is going through all this with her depression and her mental illness and not being able to get help and all of this other stuff where the fuck was Harry? Yeah, of course. Now, I'm sorry, but, you know, that story about about the curtsy, they're in the car on the way to meet his grandmother, meet the queen, and he's just like, oh, and you have to curtsy right. as, like, an offhanded thing. Like, whatever. You know, didn't even know. Apparently, she didn't even know that he was taking her to meet his grandmother. And, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'd have been pissed because, like, if I'm going to meet my, you know, my, my, my husband-to-be's grandmother, like, I want to bring a a pie or a yeah, piece like you know, I don't want to be at my best right? yeah. I want to be at my best I want to be prepared so but and that's even saying just a grandma not the queen you know so so I feel like this poor woman American woman was blindsided by Harry like completely yeah like, I mean that's the thing no is preparation? that like they come present on, themselves as this united front that has been equally wronged and and i see the fracture within the two of them where i'm like but you weren't both treated equally and you weren't both treated equally badly and one of you is partly responsible for that yourself i because mean one of you harry yeah you know i mean there was a lot going on there that i was like but where was your where was he through all of this? Why wasn't he supporting her? Why wasn't he out there getting help for her? Why wasn't he fighting his family? Why would, you know, it just was also weird that it was kind of like the onus was on her. 
Um, and I, yeah. I, you know, why was she sort of like, you know, trying to get help but flailing around and going to HR? You know, why wasn't he stepping in and saying, let's get you the help that you need? I don't know. The whole thing was very much like, you know, I'm sure we've got plenty of blame to go around with the royal family and I wouldn't probably want to marry into them in the first place but I really think a lot of this sort of like lays at Harry's feet because he just brought her into this thing and she was blindsided by absolutely everything um, and so I do not think you know I, I think that he has got a lot to speak to um, but nobody's asking him nobody's that's asking, exactly nobody's it him. no one is putting him under the microscope you are absolutely right no one is asking him, you know, it's about, well, Kate made her cry and, Kate, you know, and William did right. this and, you know, it, well, okay, but, you know, why isn't it, well, Harry, why didn't you, you know, why did you, why did you not tell her ahead that you were going to take her to meet the queen and what that meant and why didn't you have this conversation and what, you know, how could you leave her, you know, just kind of like out there flailing? Yeah. I agree. I think, I mean, yes, to me that seems rather cut and dry, but not to others. I guess Alas. not. But anyway, the whole thing has me completely fascinated, and I have absolutely no interest in the royal family either. But for some well, reason... maybe you do now. I know, maybe I do now. Deep down inside. Yeah, it's coming up. Really, I just want to be British. I am a bit of an angle. Well, there's, we yeah, no, that I am. Yeah, that we, we all are. know that. We know that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm feeling kind of ranted out. I'm tired. I mean, I feel like we didn't rant enough. Oh, you know what? I'm going to introduce a rant for next week for anyone who wants to play along uh, listening. So, in advance of next week's podcast, I imagine we'll talk to some degree about the Oscars, which are about a week and a half from now. Um, but one of the things that we've sort of been monitoring here, and I don't think you've seen the movie Nomadland, right? I haven't yet. No, I need to. Well, I don't know about need to. I recommend it highly, and it's likely going to, you know, it's a front runner for the big prize. Um, the character gets, as a nomad, gets some of her seasonal work from Amazon. And even though that's not really what the movie is about, there's a lot of shade being thrown at the film because it's they're saying it's promoting Amazon, which is, you know, this terrible corporate citizen. Um, and I just think that's completely a, a, a separate issue and nothing to do with the film and certainly nothing to do with what the film is actively doing. Um, but that is a conversation going on. So I just thought I would throw that out there if you end up watching it. To keep Interesting. So do you think that that's going to keep it from getting the Oscar? Do you think that's going to play um, no. into whether or not it gets it? No, I don't actually think any outside thing plays into the actual voting anymore. Um, okay. No, I mean, no, like Viola Davis could probably, you know, like, you know, like kill a child in the next day. And I don't know that that would change how the voting goes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I don't see this happening. I'm just saying, if it were to, voting probably would not be influenced. Okay, gotcha. I was just kind of curious. 
Um, no, I mean, I do think that, like, there may be some people out there that are throwing gas on the fire, like, in, in our modern version of, of um, uh, mudslinging, but I don't really think any of that matters. But I don't think it matters also because, you know, like, two weeks after the award season is done, everyone forgets and we all move on to the next thing. Mm, that is true. Very true. All right, it's late. And we still want to make sure that you feel good and healthy. So yeah, I know. Thanks for calling tonight. I think we're going to. Yeah. So thanks for listening to us rant. Yes. Yes. Let us know if you like the ranting. And again, big ups to Bonding and Cobra Kai. If you guys have the chance to take them in. Um. All right, y'all. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Catch you back on the Boulevard.